Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. Hebrews chapter twelve. Now, <clears throat> this section, which not the section we're looking at tonight, it's just a portion of the rest of the chapter. But the rest of the chapter, verses fifteen through twenty-nine of chapter twelve, begins the final warning passage of the five warning passages this chapter the end of this chapter uh, addresses the final warning passage now the previous ones uh, chapter 2 1 through 4 3 7 through 19 uh, chapter 5 uh, 11 through 6 12 then chapter 10 19 through 39 and the warning passages are addressed to professing not saved people They have professed the Messiah. They have professed Jesus as Savior, but uh, they're not really saved, uh, and they're in danger of going back to the Mosaic uh, laws and practices and that type of thing. So it's warning them uh, to, to, to move on to true salvation. Now, as with some of the other warning passages... Uh, the scriptures that should be included in the warning section of the end of this chapter are in dispute. Uh, everybody agrees that it's a warning passage, that the end of this chapter is the final warning that we find in the book of Hebrews. Some, for example, see as the only verse of warning being verse 25. Others, verses 25 through 29. Others see the entire chapter, which uh, I think we can summarily dismiss, but some see the entire chapter as a warning. Others see the warning starting in either verses 12 or 14 or 15 and going through verse 29. So there's differences of opinion at what point the warning starts in this latter part of Hebrews. Now, since verse 12 starts with wherefore, wherefore could have just as easily been translated therefore. In other words, there's a, um, there's a change of thought built on what's preceded it, but there's a change of thought. So then since verse 12 starts with wherefore or therefore, this indicates a new thought predicated in what has been taught previously. And again, that old saying, you know, if you, if you ever see a therefore in Scripture, back up, uh, you need to back up to see what it's there for. So it's built on what has been taught previously. Verses 12 through 15 seem to be an exhortation to believers 
to walk with the Lord. Verse 15 seems to be the start of the warning to unbelievers to come to true faith, when the challenge is that they not fail of the grace of God. So this obviously wouldn't be a believer. It is possible to view the last part of verse 14, which we'll look at tonight, as the beginning of the warning. And the last part of verse 14, it says, uh, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So that certainly could be understood uh, as the beginning of the warning. If you don't have holiness, you'll never see the Lord. You're not his child, in other words. Now, in these uh, verses, believers are encouraged to look after the needs of others, being aware of the false teachers and teachings that lead people astray. And in the context of what we're looking at, it could be the, uh, the Judaizers, if you're familiar with Galatians, uh, people need to go back under the law. That was the concern here in this book, that uh, the professors might go back under the law follow after the things of Mosaism or Judaism, if you want to put it in that vernacular, uh, and beware then of people that bring that type of false teaching and understanding in the scripture. So uh, it definitely, this portion starts the uh, warning passage, probably at the end of verse 14. I would say certainly at the beginning of verse 15, the warning passage starts. But first he addresses believers. He starts in verse 12. Wherefore, Lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. Now, uh, he had talked previously on discipline. The only ones that God disciplines are his children. Remember said, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're what? You're not a child of God. You're a bastard. You're not a child of God. Uh, all of God's children partake of God's disciplining actions. He does it based on love. So he is now addressing uh, believers. Wherefore, I, I, I want you to accept the discipline that you have. Fly right. Straighten up. It's for your benefit. It may be grievous for a, for a brief period of time, but it's ultimately good for your uh, ultimate uh, spiritual health. So accept it. Uh, receive it. Uh, get right with the Lord and move on. And so he starts, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, there's a subtle difference here in the way it's translated in different versions. For example, uh, the modern versions render this passage, or most of the modern versions, probably the way to put it, uh, have strengthened your hands. Now, that would be the ESV, the NIV, the NLT, and some others. Now, you don't have to tell me what version you have here, but some of you probably have one of these versions, correct? Uh, and it probably reads, strengthen your hand, correct? Yes? Some of you? Nobody? Okay. Somebody's admitting to it. Um, so, now, the New American Standard, the NAS, the KJV, the new KJV, the NKJV, Young's literal translation is similar as well. Do not have your, but simply exhort, strengthen the hands. That, I believe, is uh, unquestionably the intent of the writer. 
Uh, it should not be your hands. It should be the hands. Uh, the reason being uh, is that this is a, a general exhortation. This is not a personal exhortation. This is not saying um, whomever. Bob, strengthen your hands. No, this is a general exhortation to everybody. Uh, it's a general exhortation to the readers to strengthen anyone's hands that are weak or knees that are feeble and much better fits with the thought in Isaiah 35, 3 and 4 because this is where this passage or this phrase, this verse is taken from. The context of Isaiah 35 is the second coming when the Lord comes and delivers Israel and destroy her enemies. Now, verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 35 says this. Strengthen you the weak hands and confirm, make strong, the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. So the ex exhortation is, is to strengthen others. And in the context of Isaiah chapter 34, it's talking about the end times. It's talking about people coming against Israel, the Jewish people, and persecuting them. And the challenge or the command is to encourage people to be strong. Why? Because God is coming. He is going to deliver you. So stay strong in your walk with the Lord. So uh, the writer of Hebrews takes this uh, quote from Isaiah and uses it here. But it's a general exhortation. It's, it's not a personal challenge. Now, as a general exhortation, then perhaps it can be applicable to each of us. Uh, we need to strengthen ourselves, but it's more of an outward look. Um, verse 13 talks about our walk, but verse 13 initially talking about our walk talks about our walk in relation to how it affects others. Which goes back to um, underscore the point of verse 12 that it's strengthened the hands. This is just a general command that we are to uh, help others, strengthen others' hands, uh, live for the Lord, be encouraged, don't get defeated, go, don't get down, because we're more than conquerors, as Romans says. Uh, Jesus is the victor. And one day he is coming and he's going to vanquish all the enemies of God. Uh, and so don't get discouraged. Keep on going. So this is a challenge to believers. Uh, and in, in the context of what was previously looked at, discipline. Now, why would any child of God be disciplined? I mean, it's very basic, right? Sin. They're disobedient. They're, they're rebellious. They are uh, not obeying God. And so they are being dis, dis, uh, disciplined by God. Uh, and some are not taking that well. Uh, and that's the encouragement at the end of this in verses the, uh, 8, 9, 10, and 11, that area of Scripture. It says, so straighten up, fly right, and, and be an encouragement the people around you. Uh, whoever has a need, help to meet that need. And if you're doing what you have been doing in rebelliousness and sinfulness, you can't help others. It just won't happen. So straighten up. So then in verse 13, he says this, the writer, 
make straight paths for your feet. So th this is um, a, a command to believers. This is the command to us individually. This is uh, our command. This is, this is not just a general. It's general in the sense that um, it, it speaks to every believer, but every believer is to make straight their path and their walk. Uh, I remember the psalmist. I'm trying to remember what psalm it is. Um, where it says, you're not to go either to the right hand or to the left, but to you, but to you, you, you to go straight forward. In other words, don't get thrown off the course. Don't get waylaid uh, by false teaching, whether it's on this end of the spectrum or that end of the spectrum. Uh, what you need to make straight paths for your feet. In other words, follow the word of God. Then the, the, the next portion of the verse, verse 13. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. So the command is that believers are to walk a straight path, lest, unless, or what might happen if you don't, is that the lame will be turned in the wrong direction. Now, who do you think the lame are in the context of this? think it's physical lameness? No, no. It's those who are in danger of going back to the mosaic system. It could be both either, let me put it either, not both, could be either saved or unsaved, who are spiritually hurting, they're spiritually lame, they're, they're limping along. Um, so we need to walk the straight path because if we don't, there are people that watch you, that if you stumble, if you fall, if you don't walk the straight walk, it is going to have a negative influence in their life. Where you want to have a positive influence in their life, if you don't walk the straight walk, the lame are going to be turned out of the way. But rather, the last part of the phrase, let it rather be healed. In other words, your walk should be such a way that it would encourage them to do the right thing. Now, the specific concern here is that the true believing Jews, the true Jew believing Jewish people, the possessors, not have a weak Christian life that causes the unbelieving Jews, professors, who are inclined, to, uh, who are inclined toward Jesus to reject him and go back to the old system because of them. In other words, the responsibility is to walk worthy, as Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So you do not cause others to stumble. I mean, all of us have probably known or at least heard of people who have done things that you wonder, wow, Maybe Christianity is not all, not all it's cracked up to be if, if so-and-so, who I've put on a pedestal, hopefully you don't put anybody on a pedestal, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a Christian leader, uh, whatever the case might be, uh, stumbles, commits sin, falls. And how many Christian leaders in the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years have stumbled with sexual sins or some other type of sin? Uh, it, it's just... Um, 
Too many, yes, way too many. Uh, it's epidemic, unfortunately. And, and, and it can just cause division. Uh, in the church, it can cause people to lose their faith, to walk away and question. Um, I've been in churches where the pastors have gone wrong, have gone bad, have done things, and it wasn't, in the case I'm thinking of, a sexual sin. It was, a, it was, it was other sins, misuse of the Word of God, uh, all kinds of different things. And he, a church of about 1,200 people ended up, oh, well, at the last days of the existence of this church before it was taken over by another church, I think they were down to 20 people, 30 people, something like that, 40 people. Um, but a good number of those who left that church left the work of the Lord. They just got discouraged and they said, what's, you know, what's, 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 what's the value of, of doing this, if this type of thing? That's one of the problems. Number one, they're, they're well, without putting them in order, certainly they're not grounded. Uh, they're immature. Uh, number two, some of them were probably not saved to begin with. Uh, there's, in any good Bible-believing congregation, uh, the Lord teaches that you're going to have the wheat and tares. There's going to be some professors and some possessors. Hopefully mostly possessors in the, in the church, but you're going to have Satan's people in the church. He, and we're going to look at a verse later on in Acts 20, which talks about that, that there'll be false prophets that will rise from among that. So it could be one of the two. Uh, but the, the whole point of this, this admonition is all believers. It's for all of us, isn't it? But when a Christian leader does it, unfortunately, it's that much more of a, um, a ripple effect in the body of Christ. Uh, if you do something like this, you're going to influence your uh, small sphere of acquaintances, whoever that might be, wherever they might be, uh, and make them question. But a Christian leader has, the, you know, think of David. When, when David on the throne of Israel uh, committed that sin of adultery and murder, having Uriah, uh, the husband of Bathsheba, uh, killed by sending him to the front of the lines, and judgment was passed to him, uh, it was said, ultimately, you know, because you did this publicly, this is going to be done to you publicly. It was the, you know, uh, uh, there's a public sin, there's going to be a public response. Uh, of what's going to happen to you, David, in discipline for that type of thing. What we do affects people. And that's not just Christian leaders, not just people like myself or Dan or the pastor of the church you attend. Every single person here who names the name of Christ influences people for the better the worse. So this is the admonition. And that's why Ephesians 4.1 says that we're at a walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now he's speaking to believers here. What's a vocation? No, it's not a, no, a vocation, not a vac vocation. Uh, vacation, so I'm leaving out, I'm getting away from this, I'm going to, you know. No, a vocation, not vocation. Vocation is what? It's, it's, and it's more than a job. It's your, it's your career. It's your, your, maybe we would say your calling. Uh, you know, uh, it's a career. Um, 
what, what you want to do, in essence, for you, with your life, that type of thing. Every believer's vocation is to honor God, to serve God. Colossians says, set your affection on things above, right? Not on things on the earth. So walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The vocation is to be a child of God in this world, set apart, holy, that type of thing, honoring him. So walk worthy of the calling. And we have all been called. We can think of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if any man be in uh, Christ, he is new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. But remember how that passage goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It calls us, what, ambassadors. We represent Jesus. And God has given to us as his ambassador the, rec the ministry of reconciliation. Literally, when we sit, it's reconcil reconciling people back to God. And literally, when we speak to someone about Jesus, it's as if Jesus is speaking through us. We are his mouthpiece. Well, an ambassador is a full-time position, right? And you represent the king who has sent you wherever or whatever country you are placed in. So we are to walk worthy of the vocation, and we are called to be ambassadors. We're called to be servants. We're called to be saints. We're called to be uh, those who represent the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, 13 says, it says, Wherefore, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. You know, that's why, you know, they used to have pork in here, but somebody changed it. But anyway, no, just kidding. Okay, Buzz is not laughing. Um, me, 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 there is, um, you know, it's, it, we won't get in the background of it, an offering to um, idols in the Corinthian pagan temples and so on. But the point I want you to see is <clears throat> we need to walk in such a way as best as possible, not offending our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord. Uh, and if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. So we, need to, we should put our desires second to the needs of the brethren, is what it's saying. In chapter 10, verses 31 through 33, and I'm going to go back to Romans 4, I guess I missed that. Wherefore, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And it goes on, give none offense. Neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Now, this is not talking about offending people standing on truth, preaching the word of God, telling people what the Bible says in their need. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about in, in the liberties that we have in life as believers that sometimes we need to put those liberties aside because somebody might be offended if you exercise that liberty and they have not gotten to that point or place in their Christian walk. The whole point is putting others before you. Going back to Romans 14 in verse 7 and 13. In verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. In other words, our life, living or in death, influences people. 
Remember, you know, when we started in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, was it was it an, an Abel, remember, though being dead, yet speak. So even in death, our uh, life, our death can have a uh, an effect on people. So we don't live to our to ourselves. We we don't die to ourselves. It influences others. And then in verse 13 of Romans 14, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, this is not saying again that we don't make judgments. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says that we believers will judge the angels. We are commanded to discern or make judgments. Uh, but what this is uh, speaking of here in Romans is something that doesn't mount to a hill of beans, condemning somebody uh, and putting that uh, person in a place that they're going to stumble over the way you're acting. Don't be a stumbling block. Don't be a barricade to somebody's growth in the Lord. That's what it's talking about in Hebrews. He's encouraging us, every believer, walk straight, look to encourage other people to help others. Look at 1 Timothy 4.12. See, this is a very constant theme in the Word of God. Uh, Let no man despise thy youth, speaking to Timothy, but, but applied to uh, all of us. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, that's lifestyle, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So it doesn't matter whether you're young, as Timothy was, young pastor, or whether you're older in the faith or you're older person. We are not to despise other believers or where we stand in the Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're one year in the Lord, 50 years in the Lord. You should be an example to others of believers. And the way we are an example is by a faithful walk with the Lord. 1 Peter 2.21, look what it says. For even unto here, here where you call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. So when, when, if anybody had a right to rail against what was happening to him, Jesus had that right. I mean, he was perfect. He was without sin. Uh, he came to do the, what was best for all people. And yet when people turned on him and mocked him and spit on him and railed against him and ultimately crucified him, uh, he accepted it. We should follow in the steps of Jesus, uh, looking out for what's best for others. So these first two verses just start out to believers encouraging us <clears throat> the purpose of our existence here is to help others. Straighten up, walk right, don't be a stumbling block to people, be an encouragement to them, be a healer to their life, not someone that will cause them to stumble. <clears throat> Turn the page over. The exhortation continues. And, and this is why the, the warning, you know, we're talking about the warning passage. 
there's really no warning in, in the verses yet, from verses uh, 12 and 13 and now in 14. It's, it's encouraging believers. It's encouraging uh, those who were being disciplined. Uh, and again, again, the discipline are not unsaved people. They are saved people. Only saved people are disciplined by God. And so this is not the warning to the po professors. This is the encouragement to the possessors. And then he tells us this in verse 14. Follow peace with all men. Now, follow, the Greek word, dioko, it means to press on. Uh, figuratively, uh, of one who in a race runs swiftly to reach the goal. To seek after eagerly earnestly endeavor to acquire. That's what the Greek dictionary that I use finds it as. Uh, pressing on, running a race, swiftly trying to get to the end, uh, trying to, to get this, eagerly trying to get this, earnestly endeavoring to acquire it. So what are we to uh, earnestly try to get? Peace with all men. That should be our desire. Blessed, Jesus said what on the, blessed are the peacemakers. We are to try to have peace with all men. Um, a believer should not be an instigator of trouble, of war, of that type of thing. We should follow peace with all men. <clears throat> now, sometimes it's not difficult, uh, sometimes it's difficult. Um, you know, we can all think of situations where it can be very difficult. Um, sometimes people are just incorrigible. They, they won't, you know, they are just, they're looking for trouble, they want trouble, um, and if somebody comes after you, you have every right to protect yourself uh, and defend yourself or your family, that type of thing. Um, but if we're in ministry, um, I, I, Jesus, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. You know, if, if you go down wherever, to downtown Raleigh, and you street preaching and witnessing to people, and somebody takes exception to what you're saying and wants to take a swing at you, don't swing back. Don't swing back. Be a peacemaker. Now, if you're walking down the street and somebody comes up and takes a swing at you, duck and hit them with, hit them with the hardest you got. But if you're doing it ministry, swallow. Be a peacemaker. I remember years ago when I had a, I had a table at a, it was a campus in southern Florida, and um, this young guy came up, this young student. He, he must have been five foot four, 109 pounds. And I'm probably being generous in his weight. And he said he was with the, um, they're no longer around, the, um, the, the, the fist. What, what, what's the, 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 was Amir Kahani was the founder of it. They've got a party now. Remember, Netanyahu has embraced that party, opened up for his party. Um, the Jewish Defense League, the JDL. And I don't think the JDL is around anymore. But they were very militant, uh, and they, were, they didn't want to take any guff from Muslims were not as big an issue in the United States back then. This was before we were married, so this goes back to 
maybe the late 70s. Uh, and uh, he, he didn't like me on the campus. When he found out I was literature about Jesus, he said, I want to fight you right here, right now. I looked down at him and I said, you really do? Yeah, he was so small. I got to give him a lot of credit. Um, I said, I, I don't want to fight you. I'm not here to fight. I said, I want to tell you about the peace of God that passeth all understanding. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I want to tell you about your Messiah to give you peace. I want to fight. If you want to do it here, we'll go up back. I said, I don't, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not here to fight. Um, now, he didn't swing at me. Um, anyway, uh, if he would have swung at me, I wouldn't have swung back. I may have tried to grab his arm as it came by, but I wouldn't have fought back. You know, we're called to be peacemakers. So we have to follow peace with all men whenever it's possible. Um, number of scriptures. Look at, look at Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore follow after th the things which make for peace and things wherewith, wherewith one may edify another. Follow after things that make peace. Now, that doesn't mean we, again, we don't deny what we believe, you know, somebody says the, the absence of conflict does not bring peace, necessarily. Uh, but we need to seek peace. We need to be peacemakers. Follow after the things which make for peace. Doesn't mean you deny basic truths, doesn't mean you deny Jesus, but follow after peace. And things that edify one another. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. So how are we to, how are we to live? What, what is the admonition here? A uh, number of admonitions, you know, uh, be perfect, be mature, grow up. Uh, be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And, and then it doesn't say the God of love and comfort or the God of love and sound mind or the God of uh, perfection uh, or love and perfection. It says the God of love and peace. You know, Jesus was, came, he was sent by God to, to bring peace into the world. Now, there'll always be conflict until the ultimate return of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we are to follow after peace. We are to pursue it. And if that type of thing comes in our life, we are to do all that we can to be a peacemaker. We are, as the definition says, run swiftly to reach the goal. What's the goal? Peace. We are to eagerly seek it. We are to earnestly endeavor to acquire peace. We are to be peacemakers. In Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now that's believers, so even in the church we are to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Um, so as much as possible, we don't want to have division in the church now. I, I'm, I'm not a neophyte at this. <laughs> you know, I've been around the block uh, more than once, unfortunately. Uh, and the reality of it is that the church is constant conflict. And, and that's understandable because we have an adversary out there, Satan and his henchmen, who are trying to disrupt Bible-believing churches. And we'll look at it shortly about 
you know, the, the, the sowing of evil people in the church. Satan does that. So the life of a Bible-believing church is going to be conflict. Uh, but the church itself, the leadership of the church, uh, they should stand on the Word of God, they should stand on truth, and they should exercise uh, their uh, holiness and their in peace as much as possible, doing it God's way. Um, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Esteeming others and leaders, be at peace among ourselves. We shouldn't harbor grudges. Uh, we, 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 we shouldn't hold uh, ill will to somebody. Um, I've been told, I've been called a lot of things in, how long have I been in ministry? I've been in ministry not quite 50 years. Um, what is that? 2019. So I, I, I've been in ministry going on 44 years. And I've been called a lot of stuff. That's just my wife. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's sweetheart. <laughs> Gotta wake y'all up somehow. I, I have been called worse than Hitler for stealing Jewish souls. I've been called uh, a denier of the sovereignty of God. I've been called, um, what are some of those other phrases? Um, I can't even think of it. I've been called uh, a heretic more than once. I've been called um, a false teacher, all kinds of stuff. I have no um, bad Ill, Ill will at all to any of these people. My heart is totally clear, my conscience is totally clear, and I held no ill will to any of these people. And in, in 44 years of ministry, it has happened over and over and over again, unfortunately. Um, we, all of us, need to be at peace among yourselves. Um, well, I don't know how much personal I want to get and bring it home to this Bible study. We've had a lot of people come to this Bible study. This Bible study has been, well, if you want to go all the way back to Holly's, our, our headquarters, our office, used to be in a small office condo in Holly Springs, right in Main Street, right across from um, Town Hall, the, the town, yeah, Town Hall. And I don't know if anybody here was at that Bible study. Alan and April were there. Were you at the Bible study back in Holly Springs? Okay, Tom was. I know, you didn't want us to move. Um, but, but most of you weren't there. Um, we ultimately moved uh, over here. But if you start back from the Holly Springs Bible study to this day, I can only guess. We probably had... 200, 250 people come to this Bible study through the years. Um, <clears throat> and I've always said this Bible study is, is open for everybody, but it's not for everybody. Because if you don't want to hear what the Bible says, don't come. Uh, we had one, oh, I don't know how long ago, a year, year and a half ago, two years ago, we had a bunch of Pentecostals coming for a while, and one woman after the Bible study, and, and I think we were speaking, we were in Isaiah at the time, 
and I think it was Isaiah 28, where that portion of Isaiah 28 is quoted in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, since we taught Isaiah here, we've been through Ezekiel, we've been through other portions of the Word of God, and we're now almost through with Hebrews. So how long ago was this? I don't know. She came up to me afterwards and she said, I, 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 I agree with what you're saying. But she says, but, I, but I, I can't accept it. I can't believe it. Because if I do, I'm going to be ostracized by my church and probably by my family. So she said, I'm not coming back to the Bible study. Okay. Didn't offend me. I just tell you what I believe the scripture says and give evidence for it. And we've had others, same type of thing, uh, who leave in a huff, in a puff. And they're not, anyway. Um, we are to follow, we are to be at peace among ourselves. You should not have anything in your heart, in your life, against a brother or sister of the Lord. If you do, you need to get right about it. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. If you've done before God what is right, it doesn't matter what they say, what they do, how they act, and you should not hold that against them. You need to be at peace. And if you hold it against somebody, you're not at peace. So be at peace among yourselves. Look at 1 Peter 3.11. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Follow peace. Try to, you know, as best as humanly possible. Now, I understand that's the problem, right? We're human. We're sinful. But it doesn't negate or diminish the command that we have to follow peace, to seek after peace. Because if we seek after peace with, with how many people? All men. So this is not just believers. This is all people. Ultimately, it will redound to their benefit doesn't mean they're necessarily going to get saved, uh, but we are to seek peace with all men. Then, the next phrase, follow holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness. So we are to seek after holiness. Now, holiness is often translated sanctify. Literally means set apart. And I know in the past, uh, certainly when we're in Ezekiel and, and numbers of different settings, uh, in Ezekiel 36 and verses 16 through 28, uh, God says what he's going to do for Israel, and I'm going to do this for my name's sake. And he says, um, for my holy name's sake, which you have made common, profaned among the heathen, wherever you went. Well, to make holy is to set apart intrinsically spiritual. In verse 23 of Ezekiel chapter 36, the same underlying Hebrew word that is translated most of the time in those verses, holy, it says, but I will sanctify my great name. And it says it twice in verse 23. In you, Israel, the Jewish people, before the eyes of the heathen. And the same Hebrew word, I think it's kadosh, translated earlier holy, is now translated sanctify. For I will sanctify, I will make my name holy, I will set it apart. 
Well, that's what sanctify or that's what holy means. We are to follow holiness. We are to live differently. We are to live uniquely. We are to live with an intrinsically spiritual purpose. Holiness is intrinsically religious, if you want that term, or spiritual. As believers, we have an intrinsically spiritual purpose for our life. That is the underlying purpose, to honor God, to serve God, to love God, to work with God, and we are to follow that calling. It's, it's, it's building on what uh, it said earlier. Follow, walk a straight walk. Ephesians, walk a, a worthy walk of the vocation where you, with you have been called. Follow after holiness. Be different. You have a spiritual calling in your life. Nobody else in the world does, only believers. Follow after holiness. Often translated sanctify or set apart. Now, following after holiness implies that there's been a change in a person's life. You're to follow holiness because you have now a unique calling to be set apart in your daily walk, your daily life. So it implies that there's a change that's taken place in a person's life. Anybody who is saved has a, right, change. If any man be in Christ, he will become, he is a new creation, creature. So, we, so, so there's this change. To follow it means that there's been a change in our life. Uh, and when there is a change, there will be evidence of that change. Right? We looked at that last week. We looked at some characteristics of a believer in John, 1 John 3, 1 through 10. I have in recent studies, but it was just last week. How many believers, I have the answer down here, how many believers will have these characteristics? All. Because you're born into God's family, you get his characteristics. We looked at them last week. So there will be evidence in the life. Um, I've often said, if you put a wildcat in a burlap, big burlap bag, that's fine. You're going to get a commotion. That wildcat's going to try to get out. If you put the, the spirit of God in a body, he's going to make a commotion. He's not going to lie there just befuddled about what you're doing. He's going to make a commotion in your life. There is a change because the Spirit of God lives within you. If one has not those characteristics, it shows that he is not a child of God. He will not see the Lord. See the end of this verse. Follow after holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, without which is not the following. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is on what should be in our life or what is in our life. Let me put it that way. Holiness. And if you don't have holiness, what's it say? You're not going to see the Lord. If you're not going to see the Lord, what are you? You're a child of whom? Satan. This is the supernatural change that takes place in the life of a believer. The Spirit of God comes in, and he is sanctifying us. That's the sanctification 
process. As he is holy, be ye holy. But there's also that practical part of the sanctification process. We live it out. But if you be without holiness, whereof all our partakers discipline, you're not one of his children. So without holiness, you'll never see the Lord. Now, the next thought comes from the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. So the meaning of sanctification, the basic meaning of sanctification, the generic, general, meaning of, is, the, is the state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. A pen is sanctified when used to write. What is this, what is this pen? What's the purpose? What is it designed to do? Write. And when I write with it, it's doing exactly what it was designed to do. It is set apart for the purpose it was brought into existence. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. If I take these glasses off, um, I can see you, but you're a little blurry. You looked fine a minute ago. Oh, there you are. Blurriness have gone away. And the glasses are doing what they were designed to do, right? They are sanctified. They are helping me to see better. Uh, and so, uh, eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. In the theological sense, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intends. Now, there are a lot of things that were set apart for God in holiness. Jerusalem, the holy city, holy vessels in the temple, uh, holy Bible, we study the Bible, and so on. But let me just read on. Uh, a human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. So when are we holy? We are holy when we are saved, but we are holy then when we live according to what God has designed us to do, according to his purpose. And by the way, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but how do we, where do we learn, where do we find out what his design and purpose is for us? The Word of God. Yeah. That's sanctification. Without which, no man shall see the Lord. Now, I want to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Alan, I hope you're listening. He loves Charles Spurgeon quotes, but um, I don't usually quote Charles Spurgeon, but I am for this. He's commenting on this verse. This comes from Holiness Demanded, a sermon published uh, Thursday, September 22nd, 1904, delivered by Spurgeon at the... Uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was on the Lord's Day evening in 1862, published in 1904. Here's what he said. There's been a desperate attempt made by certain antinomians. That means people who say there's no law. To get rid of the injunction which the Holy Spirit here means to enforce. They have said that this is the imputed holiness of Christ. See, once we're saved, we have the imputed holiness of Christ, and, and God doesn't look at our sinful condition. He looks at uh, us in Christ, the imputed. It's put on our account, holiness of Christ. They have said that this is the imputed holiness of Christ. 
Do they not know when they so speak that by an open perversion they utter that which is false? I do not suppose that any man in his senses can apply that interpre interpretation to the context. Follow peace with all men and holiness. Now, the holiness men is evidently one that can be followed like peace. And it must be transparent to any ingenuous man that it is something which is the act and duty of the person who follows it. We are to follow peace. This is practical peace. Not the peace made for us, but the fruit of righteousness which is sown in peace of them that make peace. We are to follow holiness. This must be practical holiness. The opposite of impurity. As it is written, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. The holiness of Christ is not a thing to follow. I mean, if we look at it imputatively, what's been imputed to us. That is what we get by being saved. We don't follow that. That we have at once. It is given to us the moment we believe. The righteousness of Christ is not to be followed. It is, in fact, as everyone can see who chooses to read the connection, practical, vital holiness, which is the purport of this admonition. It is conformity to the will of God and obedience to the Lord's command. It is, in fine, the Spirit's work in the soul by which a man is made like God and becomes a partaker of the divine nature being delivered from the corruption which is in the world through lust. No straining, no hacking at the text can alter it. There it stands, whether men like it or not. There are some who, for special reasons best known to themselves, do not like it, just as no thieves ever like the policeman at Goyles. That must be sort of Gales. Okay, for jails. Thank you. I was wondering what that was. For jails. Yeah, this is Spurgeon. Ah, where did I leave up? Yet yeah, there it stands. And it means no other than what it says. Without holiness, practical, personal, active, vital holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Dealing with this solemn assertion, fearfully exclusive as it is, shutting out as it does, does so many professors from all communion with God on earth and all enjoyment of Christ in heaven. I shall endeavor first to give some marks and signs whereby a man may know whether he has this holiness or not. We did that last week. Secondly, to give sundry reasons by way of improvement of the, sol of the solemn fact, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And then thirdly, to plead hard in Christ's stead with those who are lovers of gain, that they may bethink themselves ere time be over and opportunity past, that they've lost the chance. It means what it says. Without holiness, one will not see the Lord. This is a practical holiness. This is the change of life. It's not speaking of perfection. It's not speaking of sinfulness, uh, 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 of, of, of no sin in your life. We covered that last week. It is speaking of a life that is now given over to a ongoing uh, practice of godly living, holy living. And if you don't do that and you are a true believer, what will God do to you? 
Discipline would be a better word, uh, which we looked at last week. If somebody doesn't have this in their life, they're not saved. It, it buttresses what we looked at um, last week. So go to, go to uh, page three. And, and you can see now, the, the warning passage, perhaps you can see, very likely picks up at the end of verse 14. Because what is the, what is the challenge? What is the, the truth? What is the statement? If you don't have holiness in your life, it's not a pattern of your life. You're never going to see the Lord. If you're never going to see the Lord, that means you're not saved to begin with. And so this starts the warning passage. Verse 15 then. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now looking diligently... Uh, literally means to, to, to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, to care for. A uh, uh, um, uh, derivative word for the, the uh, definition for this is the care of the church, which rests upon the elders. Now, the reason that word is given, because the same word here, episcopio, uh, is used in 1 Peter 5.2. There is translated oversight, and it's speaking the the, the leaders in the church, the elders in the church, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Same word as looking diligently. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, money, but of a ready mind. So the admonition that we have here is to exercise care over the lives of people in our influence. Here, especially, in relation to unbelievers that make a profession but are not truly saved, we need to exercise care. We need to have oversight. We need to be uh, diligently doing what God wants. Now, how do we exercise oversight? How do we exercise care? We, we see it in 1 Peter chapter 5 when it speaks to the elders, but it's applicable here in Hebrews chapter 12 and to every single one of us. Look at the beginning of verse 2 of 1 Peter 5. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. If we're going to oversee, and this is speaking to the elders, but let's generalize it, which is what verse 15 does. If we are going to oversee the care of others, what is the, I won't even say the primary, although I may have put down here when I, when I did this lesson, the primary, but the, 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 really the only thing that we have to offer people, which is what? Look at verse 2 again, First Peter 5. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Grass. The word of God. The word of God. The way the saints are fed is through the word of God. Teaching the word of God. Stories every now and then are fine. Illustrations are excellent if it illustrates the point. But there's nothing that takes the place of the word of God. 
and teaching the Word of God. Tragically, in the Christian world today, so many churches, evangelical churches, have left the teaching of the Word of God for a bowl of soup, porridge. Which ultimately brings me to Esau, which we're going to get to shortly in this passage. Because he sold his birthright for what? Bowl of porridge. Many in the church today, pastors, leaders, are selling their birthright for a bowl of soup. The only way you exercise oversight over anybody, whether it's saved or unsaved people, is through the Word of God. You have to share the Word of God. To become a believer, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, preach the Word. How often in 1 Timothy chapter 4 are we to preach the Word? All the time. Every day. It's not a bad time. <clears throat> so the admonition is to exercise care over the lives of people and our influence. Here especially in relation to unbelievers that make a profession but are not truly saved but uh, generally to everybody. And the main way we exercise oversight, looking diligently to help people is by teaching the Word of God. Don't ever let that slip by. Don't ever diminish it. Don't ever remove it from your, your understanding in your heart. For example, the first part of 2 Timothy warns about false teachers. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I should have been put down there. Uh, the first part of 2 Timothy 3 warns about false teachers and their lives and how they deceive people by the use of uh, supernatural means, miraculous events. In verses 14 through 17 of 2 Timothy 3, we go given the antidote for the evil that these leaders do. What is the antidote? Scripture. Talking to Timothy, but applicable to every single one of us. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed, is profitable. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be made perfect thoroughly furnished on all good works. Now it goes on in the next chapter, it says, but the time will come uh, that there'll be people that will come and, and people with itching ears will go after them. But the antidote to these false teachers, even using supernatural works in the name of Jesus, the word of God. Rightly divide the word of truth. So looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, fail of the grace. We could spend an hour on this thing. I'm just going to mention it in passing. How do you fail of the grace of God? Some people would say the grace of God is irresistible. <coughs> you know, that you can't resist the grace of God. But here it says men can fail 
of the grace of God. Well, fail literally means to be left behind in the race. Fail to reach the goal. Fall short of the end. Now, what is the, what is the, the goal, the end, uh, in this context of these people? Salvation. These are the professors. You need to come to true saving faith. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah. Don't fall short. Don't complete, don't not complete the race. Don't fail of the grace of God. God's grace is offered to you, but you can fail to embrace it because God's grace is freely offered, not irresistibly given. Whosoever will. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten. Whosoever believes on him. I mean, there's hundreds of verses like that. Um, so we, we've got to be careful. And, and he's talking to us as believers. We've got to be careful about what we do, lest we cause somebody to stumble and turn away from Jesus and don't ultimately get saved because of something that we have done. Fail is a participle in the present tense, which means something is in progress. This is speaking of those professing Jews who are going back to the old system, and thus they negate the grace of God that has been at work in their life. They, 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 they shed the, work, uh, the grace of God. And, and, and throughout Hebrews, this has been a warning that has been given. Uh, back in chapter 3, take heed, brethren, these are part of the warning passages. Take heed, brethren, lest there be, any, be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Scary thought. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Make sure you come into faith, into the rest that Jesus gives you or offers you, and don't fall short of that rest through unbelief. In that Hebrews 6 passage, verse 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now these are not saved people. We looked at this in detail when we we're in Hebrews 6. These are professors. These are not partakers of the Holy Ghost in, in the sense that they reside or the Holy Ghost resides in them. They have just tasted of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the pre-salvation work of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in John 16, when the Holy Spirit has come in the world? And I regularly, if you, if you follow me in how I pray, oftentimes for unsaved people in John chapter 16, Lord, do what? Convict them of judgment to come. Why? Because Jesus said, I'm going but I'm sending you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world, sin, righteousness, judgment to come. And the world are the unbelievers. So you're on very solid ground when you pray for an unbeliever, for the Spirit of God to convict that unbeliever of sin, their rebelliousness, their separation from God, of righteousness, that's Jesus and who he is and what he has done for them, and judgment to come, what's going to happen if they don't accept what Jesus has done for them? 
it's not a promise that they will be saved, that they'll accept the truth, but they will be convicted of it. These partakers of the Holy Ghost are the pre-salvation partakers. They're not saved people. And then in verse 6, if they shall fall away, these people, they're, pro they're professors, if they ultimately fall away, if they shall fall away to renew them again on a repentance scene, they uh, crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And, and that verse picks up where verse 4 leaves off. For it is impossible for those who are enlightened if they shall fall away to renew them again on a repentance. In other words, if, in this case, if they fall away, they can't be saved. This is not believers. And 1038. But we are not of them who draw back onto perdition, onto hell, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So we don't want people to fail, to fall short of the grace of God. It is offered to every person, but these persons, these people have turned from it. We don't want to be guilty of helping them or giving them an excuse why they don't need Jesus. And then it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. Root of bitterness will trouble and defile many. Now, root that's used here, the root of bitterness, it's used the same way in Deuteronomy chapter 29, in verses 18 and 19. It speaks of an evil person. Here's verses 18 and 19, Deuteronomy 29. Lest there should be among you man or woman or father or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there should be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood, evil, poison. And it come to pass when he hears the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst. Beware, there are those who will walk among you who are a root that produces only one thing, evil, poison, division. So be careful, believer, that we don't influence somebody lest that person get, ha, ends up having a root of bitterness springing up. And that person then will ultimately do what? They're going to trouble you. And ultimately, many will be defiled by their teaching. No, these are not safe people. No, no, no. These, are, these would be unsafe people, even the defiled. They're led astray by false teaching. So. The person who just assumes a Christian who just behaves to the point where he drives his person away from Christ, what is, is that person you're supposed to be aware and not to? That person is in need, in need of, will, has discipline um, and, and probably will get more discipline. But th this, this is an admonition. This is not a particular case. This is a. Um, this is, I don't think example is the word. Um, not even a general principle. I'm forgetting the phrase that I want to share. This is, a, um, you know, this is, this is what could happen, uh, not will happen. 
possibility. Yeah, it's still not the word I'm looking for. But he's saying, be careful and how, be diligent in what you do uh, because you don't want to be the one who causes that person to stumble at Jesus. And if, they, if you, and that person who stumbles at Jesus, whatever the reason, he might turn, he can turn around and have a root of bitterness. And he's going to give you problem, and he's going to give other problem people problem, and cause many to stumble at Jesus and, 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 and be defiled by his teaching, that type of thing. So the admonition is to us to be careful um, and, and defile there and, and turn the paper over. Um, this is what it's getting at. And verse 16 and 17 will, will build on, especially verse 16. But unsaved people, professing to be believers, will be among the believers, will eventually rise up and lead people astray. Acts 20, 28 through 30. Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. We read that earlier. Uh, to feed the, 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 the church of God, or I mentioned earlier, which he had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. We know in the church there are false teachers. There are unsaved people. Yes? Well, there's a difference here. Um, there's two here. There's verse 29 are those from without. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous worlds, wolves enter in. So they're going to come like wolves trying to get into the sheep, sheep fold. They're going to try to enter in from the outside. That's bad enough, but usually it's easier to spot them. Like cults. But here's the bigger issue, or the bigger problem. Both are issues. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. There will be people in your body, in your Christian fellowship, in your church, who maybe have been there for two years, or three years, or five years, who are unsaved, and have always been unsaved. And ultimately, at the, at the right time, whatever time that is, Satan will unleash that person and they will start speaking perverse things to draw away disciples. I remember um, two years ago or so, we were studying on false prophet. I forget the passage, but I mentioned to you a man by the name of Bill Schlegel. Remember? Bill Schlegel was the, uh, involved as a teacher at the IBEX program run by Master College in Israel. Bill Schlegel went to San Diego Christian College. Uh, in El Cajon, where Cheryl and I lived for many years, a number of years. Um, Bill Schlegel ultimately joined with Master's College and went over there and taught for, I don't know, 15 years in the college. But one day, his true colors came out. And he said he'd been struggling with it for many years and believing it for many years. What was he believing? He didn't believe Jesus was God. He believed he was just a created being. And finally he came out publicly. Well, he was fired and he's now part of a cult in Tennessee. It took 15 years. He went through Bible college. He may have gone to seminary at Master Seminary. I'm not sure on that. He served teaching the truth 
for many years, not believing it for most of those, but teaching it. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. It is perverse to say that Jesus is not God. To draw away disciples after them. He tried to get people to follow him. That's the insidious one. People will come from the outside, the wolves, to try to get the sheep. But there will be those among us who ultimately will fly their true colors and rise up to lead people after them. 2 Timothy 3.13 calls these people evil. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we have to be careful. We don't want to put a stumbling block to cause people to stumble, uh, and especially somebody who's thinking of coming to the Lord, close to coming to the Lord, and uh, ultimately says, if that's what Christianity is about, I want nothing to do with it, and turns 100% in the other, or 180 degrees in the other direction, uh, and becomes a hater of the Bible, and the hater of God and his people. We don't want to be that. And then the, this admonition, verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Well, you know the story of Esau. Um, be careful. We, we don't want to uh, do this where we're we're like Esau, or people will become like Esau, and is willing to sell everything for a bowl of soup porridge. Unsaved people participating in the church while living in sin will eventually cause problems. Whether they are committing sexual sins or just living ungodly lives, they need to be dealt with. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. You're not all together with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one, don't even eat with him. Notice what it says. If any man that is called a brother. Is he a brother? Maybe, maybe not, but not for sure. For what have I to do? Judge them also that are without. Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourself that wicked person. In God's eyesight, when you have somebody in the body of Christ that is living contrary to the word of God, he's living, a, he's a fornicator. Um, he's causing problems through covetousness or idolatry or or he's a railer, he's just, he's, he can't get along with people, he's a drunkard, and so on. Put him out of the body for the health of the body. He may not even be a brother. He calls himself a brother. Elders have that responsibility to guard the flock from people like Esau. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. If the church is not regularly guarding against Esau's, they're neglecting their duty. You know the tragedy of the church today? They think it's best to invite Esau's into the church. They really, they're, they're, that's what they're doing. They're not keeping the, the church is for believers. It's for the called out ones. It's not for unsaved people. 
if they want to come to a service on Sunday morning, that's fine, or whenever time they come. But the church is not for them. And there needs to be much more pruning, I believe, in, in, in the membership roles of most churches. And most evangelical churches, they open up the doors, you know, they want to be, uh, we, we open, and a lot of, we, we open everybody. You're a lesbian, that's fine, come. Transgender, come. You can join the church. Because we want to minister, we want to love you. That's not the church. That's the caricature of the church. That's wrong. Esau's will always cause problems. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 15 through 18, it says this. Study to show thyself the proved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's the basis. But shun, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, as a sore, of whom is Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're cancerous sores in the body, these guys. There are cancerous sores in churches today who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. These are not good guys. They're evil people. They have a root of bitterness in them. So back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, we're told this about these guys. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, now Philetus, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul said, I'm turning them over to Satan. That Satan can have his way with them. But these are evil people. Don't let them in your church. They are cancer sores. They will destroy you. Get rid of them. Because if you are not careful, and if you're, you know, you, these people will, you, you're gonna, you could be the cause of them in your church. God forbid that that would happen because you make somebody stumble at the name of Jesus. And then in verse 17, for you, know now, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. This is talking about Esau. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He had stepped over the line. He lost the blessing. He lost the inheritance. He lost everything that he had because he was a profane, godless individual. It's the same type of warning in Hebrews 6. If you keep on saying no and you turn away, you reach a point where you can't be brought to repentance again. It's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. There will be people like that in the church that if they continue on their path and get harder and harder, they can't be saved. The admonition here, the warning to unbelievers, don't be like this. Without holiness, you'll never see the Lord. But to believers, don't you live in such a manner that you cause people to stumble that you might have some kind of impact in a life that will produce a root of bitterness in them, evil, where they cause trouble, not only for you, but for others, and defile the church and defile the faith. Live in such a way that nobody can cast blame on you. 
We live that way by the word of God. The yeas and the nays. And so it's an admonition to us to live righteously, holy. It's a warning to believers that's just started. We'll pick it up next week. Make sure you come to true faith. Because it'll end in this chapter. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, just people should chew on that. I mean, we are not playing games. This is reality. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God and uh, help us, Lord, to uh, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we have been called. We are to live holy lives. We are to represent you in, in a manner uh, such that we are a people of peace. We strive for peace. We don't want to be contentious. We have to contend for the faith, but we can contend for the faith uh, uncontentiously. Help us, Lord, to, to walk that fine line, following after peace, but teaching the word of God, the truth. That some might be snatched from the flames of hell. Some might be saved. Bless our fellowship, bless the food, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Shalom.